Well, hello, this is your host, artist Miriam Shulman, and you're listening to episode number 26 of the Inspiration Place podcast. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world insider podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. I am so thrilled that you're here today. Today, I've invited a guru on quieting your inner critic because that is a struggle that we all have. And I don't know about you, but I am always looking for ways to shut him up. Many of us live under the weight of a harsh inner critic. From an early age, we learn that we should be perfect and flawless, and that thinking spills over onto our creative process. But the truth is, our flaws make us human and whole, and in turn make our art more interesting. Our quirky patterns and signature styles are all part of what makes us who we are, and as we quiet that judgmental inner voice and replace it with loving kindness and curiosity, we learn to express ourselves creatively. So we are going to dive deep into that today. So today you're going to discover the three steps to take back your creative power and how you can transform self-talk into a tool for success, as well as how sometimes the criticisms of others can unlock our secret superpowers. Today's guest is a speaker, an author, and a creativity evangelist who speaks at conferences and consults with companies worldwide. She helps individuals and companies unleash their creativity through banishing their inner critic and hacking their creative brains. She is the author of Banish Your Inner Critic, the premier handbook on silencing fears to unleash creativity. Please welcome to the inspiration place, Denise Jacobs. Yay! Thank you. It's so lovely to be here. So are you in Miami right now? I am in Miami right now, but only for like another 12 hours. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for taking the time. Have you always lived there? Uh, No, I'm originally from a small college town in Ohio called Yellow Springs. It was the home of Antioch College. And uh, I lived there until I was 18. I went to school in the Bay Area for a year. I went to Seattle for the summer, quote unquote, and the summer turned into 17 and a half years. And then I moved to Miami in 2006. Okay. So I actually did grow up in Miami. I lived there. I did. Well, I can't say grew up there because I was actually a nomad for most, most of my childhood, but I was there for a solid eight years of my childhood. And I actually wow. went to Miami Shores Elementary School. Check you out. Yeah. Is that a military family? No, no, no. My my father passed away when I was really mm-hmm. young, and then my mom remarried. So mm-hmm. there was like, yeah, we transitions. Followed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I did love my years there. You know, playing on the beach and mm. Miami. The weather is like perfect, basically, in my personal humble opinion. Yeah. Well, like I take my kids, you know, raising your kids in the Northeast, like I did, you take the kids to a playground. But when we were little, my mom used to just take us to the beach. Like that was our playground. The the beach was your playground. That's just so like romantic sounding. 
you know, idyllic. (laughs) So anyway, I am so excited to have you. And what I love about your book, it's so you're from a computer technical background, right? Yes. And also, you know, I didn't actually know that there was a name for it when I was younger, oddly enough, but I realized, um, you know, kind of much later on, I was like, oh, I've always kind of been a graphic designer. So I did a um, really cool, actually, um, if, if anybody is so inclined to look for it, you can find it under my profile in Flickr. But I have a great picture of a mural of the world, basically a map of the world, like a a redone map of the world that I did my senior year in high school for my favorite teacher. And it's about 10 feet by 20 feet. Wow. Wow. Or like, let's say, let's see, I think maybe, maybe it was like nine feet tall, maybe 10 feet tall. The ceiling's pretty high in that room. And then about 20 feet long. And um, I reproduced the map on the wall so that she would have it as a teaching tool and then I did hand lettering. I like hand drew the typography for the title and did a really pretty compass rose. And and so I kind of looked back and I was like, oh, look, I had that. You know, I did that thing. I just didn't realize that kind of my version of visual art was graphic design. And now I design logos, all of my logos wow. for all of my businesses I've designed myself. And I didn't know that. That's terrific. Yeah, yeah so I design. Nothing's ever wasted. No, I mean, it's like, and then that's nice because instead of having a logo that was designed by this person and that person and the other person, they're all, they all kind of have a similar feel because they're all done by me. So yeah, so like, for example, in the book that kind of the creative dose little icon that is by the exercises. That is actually the logo for my company. And I designed that. That's fantastic. No, I actually don't design logos. People think just because you're an artist, you can do anything, but it's not true. Yeah. So, yeah. And then you were also on the high school basketball team. I was on the high school basketball and volleyball team, but the basketball team story is so much better. Well, yeah, it's so interesting because you were a very tall girl and you were trying to keep yourself small. Right, which right. Which is really or just, what the inner critic or like, does. Or like invisible, like, please yes. don't pay attention to me. And, you know, with that, it was really about, and, and, you know, a lot of the listeners will probably kind of relate to this, that you feel like sometimes when you're a certain way, that then people have expectations of you. Absolutely. And if, if you don't if you don't think you can live up to the expectations, then you're just like, please pay no attention to the tall black woman, <laughs> tall black girl sitting on the bench because you know, there's nothing to see here. There's there's nothing to see here. You know, and it's like if you're, I don't know, like somebody who like likes to wear vintage clothes or something like that. And then people are like, oh, you must be an artist. And you're like, actually, I'm a computer programmer. <laughs> or, you know, you like insert like some trope or some stereotype. Or like, if you're blonde, you're a blonde woman and people are just like, oh, you must be stupid. And you're like, actually, I'm an astrophysicist. Thanks for asking. You know what right. I mean? Like, so right. there's all of these things where people have expectations and yes. you're just like, but also, this was something that we talked about in episode number six, which hmm. is the sister to this episode's overcoming imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. So that's another time where a lot, a lot of us will just keep ourselves small. And I mm-hmm. talked about in that episode, I talked about how when I go to 
professional art classes as a mm. student. Sometimes I don't want people to know. Oh, yeah. I'm a professional artist. I just want yeah. to blend. I don't want that expectation on um, me. I still do that. Like if I go and I play volleyball somewhere, like yeah. if people will be like, have you played before? And, and you're like, no. Nah. I'll just be like, well, you know, like kind of every now and then, like I don't say to people, well, you know, actually I was almost or, like I almost played on Stanford's volleyball team. <laughs> Because oh uh, I like because it's been a really long time since I played volleyball. Yeah. At this point, I'm yeah. like super like I am not in volleyball. You know, university. You know, high school club team volleyball shape by any stretch of the imagination. And so I don't want people to be like, oh, I would have expected you to be so much better, knowing that right. you almost played varsity basketball at a, right, a division one volleyball school at a division one school. <laughs> right, division one division one volleyball right in california right yeah. exactly you know you know you know all about that right so i'm just like eh, no they don't you know they don't need to know that until like later and then afterwards if they're like oh snap wait what just happened i'll be like oh i yeah i did this thing. exactly wait 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 till you impress them and then right like actually actually if you must know <laughs> i get the same exact thing like if i take an art class i say nothing until they until they say that's really good it's like well actually actually i went to school at dartmouth so if that's what you yeah all right so let's make this actionable for our guests one of the things i i really liked about your book and mm-hmm. this is why it's going to tease you that it was almost like an operating manual for how yeah. to, for for your inner critic like you could really see your training as somebody who has been in that technical world because mm-hmm. it's not just a cheerleader rah-rah book it mm-hmm. really is a handbook mm-hmm. with action items step one step two step three mm-hmm. so you know obviously we can't get into the whole book which is why I included <laughs> a link on the website I hope people will check it out and yes, invest do. in the book. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's a small investment. And also write a review on Amazon. Which I just did, reviews. by the way. Did. I, I did. I did. I did. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate with my, it. With my real name. Ooh, that's exciting. <laughs> so that means I can hunt you down now. I'll be like, excuse me, I have a question about that review. <laughs> I, started, I started leaving reviews on iTunes because mm. I wanted to, you know, grab the attention of influencers. And then I found out that my iTunes name was Mim Meditates. Oops. I was like, whoops, that defeated the whole purpose of yep. that, you know. Never mind. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Yes, no, absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about the three steps to take back your creative power. Okay. So dealing with your inner critic. So, so there's, so there's, there's actually, there's actually two things that I want to mention mm-hmm. with these three steps. Cause there's kind of a, um, you know, the one we had kind of talked about a little bit, you know, beforehand, the three steps, but I also want to mention what I feel like before I talk about the three steps very quickly, I want to talk about the three power tools that people have that, you know, so like sometimes I feel like what happens is that people get kind of in this kind of sense of complacency with the inner critic. And they're like, I'm just going to have the inner critic forever. It's just there. It's like we have coffee in the morning. It's just like this 
permanent. And, and you know what, solution. Denise, I just sorry. realized, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we never define the inner critic. I think that's right. really helpful is let's, let's create a definition for it okay. first and let's then we'll talk about the tools. Let's, let's back it up for a minute. Although I think most people know what it is. <laughs> a little too yeah. well, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so basically what I, what I always say in my keynotes and, and in my trainings with people is that the inner critic is a psychological construct. So it's kind of like this kind of installation you have in your head, in your psyche. And it comes from the fears you have about yourself, plus the negative things that you've heard from other people over the course of your life, right? So people can say negative things to you. And if there's nothing for it to attach to, it just kind of rolls off your back, you know, like water off a duck's back. You know, somebody goes, you've got a big nose and you're like, my nose is cute. (laughs) 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 Whatever. And then you just keep on moving. Right. But if you are afraid that your nose is big, yes. Then somebody says that and you're like, Oh my God, it's true. It's true that I have a big nose and it's awful. And I need to go and get plastic surgery. Right. Right, right. So it's the same kind of thing. So, um, so really, one of the things I like to accentuate it is that it's really a lot of it is about what you're afraid is true, right? And then it gets triggered or it gets kind of accentuated and strengthened by some random comment from somebody who it was important to you, some authority figure, you know, peers, etc. And then it kind of comes up and it becomes this protective mechanism that your psyche creates to try to prevent you from having that kind of experience again in the future. And then what it does is it goes into a part of your brain that's called implicit memory and it it starts to drive your subconscious behavior, sometimes conscious, but a lot of times subconscious, right? So you see an art contest or something like that. And you're like, ah, you know, I'm not going to apply for that because I mean, like, you know, there's probably so many other people whose stuff is better than mine. I I don't stand a chance. And you have no idea. Mm. You don't know who's like, right? And so you hold yourself back because maybe when you were in the second grade, you had an art teacher who was just like, yeah, well, you know, I mean, you're, it's okay, but you know, you're never going to be able to compete with, you're never going to be able to go to art school. Mm. And then boop, like, and that was your fear. And then, so that becomes something that you consider true. And then it controls your behavior from, you know, from then on until you, unless you really work to overcome it. Having said that, and kind of establishing that that's the inner critic, and really, I think also to the important thing about that is that it is a protective mechanism. Your inner critic is trying to, it's a little misplaced, but it is trying to keep you from experiencing hurt over again. It's just a little too good at what it does. Yeah. And, and it is, like I said, it is misplaced effort and energy. I love what Elizabeth Gilbert says that it's mm. like you're driving the car and the critic is going to be there, but she says, go, go in the back seat. I don't need you to, to hold the wheel. I don't need you to look mm-hmm. at the map. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can, or you could be in the trunk or you can be yeah, in the right, way back. Exactly. Like, 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 well, I'll, t- I'll let you know when we show up at the destination. Right. Or meet me, meet me when we get yeah. there. Yeah. Just why don't you take a train? Exactly. I'll drive and I'll just, I'll pick you up at the train station. How about if we do that? So that's the inner critic. And then the cool thing though is, is that despite having this kind of influence and this kind of natural thing that our brains do to try to protect us from being hurt, we also have some very cool, what I call mental power tools that we're born with 
that make it so that we can maybe not completely silence or banish the inner critic completely 100%, but make it so that we're more in control of the process, what our brains are doing, and more in control then of the emotions we're producing from the thoughts that we're thinking. The first one's neuroplasticity. And that is that our brains are constantly changing in the face of different stimulus. So if you're thinking certain thoughts over and over and over again, you're going to literally wear kind of a path as it were, like you're going to have these neurons that are firing together, wiring together, and they're going to get very strong. But if you start to change your thought patterns and you start focusing on other things, focusing on thinking different thoughts, so instead of thinking, my second grade art school teacher was right, and I'm like, I'm just not competition-worthy art level, you're just like, "Um, yeah, she didn't know what she was talking about. So I'm going to take these classes. I'm going to do this stuff. I'm going to get a mentor and I'm going to apply for that thing. Right. I like to think of neuroplasticity (laughs) as kind of like you have a habit Mm -hmm. of thinking one thing and then just like any other habit change, you're going to replace it with a new habit of Mm -hmm. thinking different thoughts. Right. And I think so then what helps neuroplasticity is attention and focus. And what helps attention and focus is mindfulness. Mm. So that's what I think of as the second power tool is mindfulness, is that ability to be able to kind of step away from your thoughts and your feelings and to kind of almost be like an outside observer and to almost kind of go, oh, hey, look, I'm thinking that thought instead of being like, oh, it's true and it's all like in there to go, oh, okay. Isn't that interesting? Right. Right? Isn't that interesting? interesting? Oh, I'm I'm having that. Right. I'm being that person. I'm doing that thing. Let me see what other thoughts I can choose out of the large palette of thoughts that I can choose. Kind of like choosing a color. Do you meditate to help with mindfulness? I I do. I do. Meditation isn't about being good at it. Okay. It's just about showing up. So if you show up and you sit down for however long it is, you're like, by definition, you're good at it because you're doing it. But are you like, do you use like a guided tape? Do you just breathe? I don't. I did a Vipassana meditation retreat about five years ago and I learned the Vipassana technique, which is awesome. It's awesome. Look it up. It's really cool. And um, it's very focused on being aware of your breath and also scanning your body and being in touch with your body, which is really great. I really like that. And so that's what I do when I am working to meditate, I work to focus on being aware of my breath, actually, and sensations, observing sensations, and moving on to the next one. Anyway, so mindfulness. And then finally, the last one is self-compassion. Okay. So being kind to yourself and treating yourself like mentally treating yourself the same way you would a dear friend. So when your inner critic pops up and you start beating yourself up, be mindful and be, oh, look, I'm doing that thing again. How about if I choose this other way of talking to myself? How about if I choose to talk to myself like I would a friend? So those are like the three overall arching frameworks that you're putting all the other action steps into. Exactly. So the thing that you're talking about with the inner critic, so you can kind of have those kind of in the background. And then when the inner critic pops up, you can be like, okay, look, (laughs) <laughs> you can give your inner critic a name. Okay. So you can give your inner critic a name 
And actually what I often do is not only do I have people like give it a name, you know, like and say, oh, my inner critic, Norma's here, (laughs) Norma the mean librarian or whatever, and give it a name and like basically be like, look, okay, my inner critic is here and she's in force and I'm having an inner critic attack right now. And then the other thing that you can do is you can give your inner critic a backstory. I love that. I never heard of that before. I actually do imagine my inner critic is a man. Mm -hmm. That's the gender. Does he have a name? No, Hmm. he's not worthy of a name. Okay. You know, (laughs) it's like if you give someone a name and you give it a little extra... Uh, Gravitas. Yeah. So, but what's nice is that when I make it a man, it's not me... It's not even a part of me. So it's easier for me to separate myself from the inner critic, what the inner critic is saying, than from what my own truth is. Okay. Did you give your inner critic a backstory? Like why he's so bitter? Why is he so bitter and like cranky and grumpy? I don't know. I don't like to listen. I, you know what I do? The first thing I do is when he pops in is I, I immediately put on headphones. Nice. And I will listen to an audiobook. Or now these are things that don't work well if, if your creative passion is writing. Mm-hmm. But as an artist, I'm working in, in the visual zone and I kind of like to occupy my conscious mind with an, mm-hmm. either an audiobook or a podcast so that my subconscious mind can actually do the creative work. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, it, it occupies that part of my brain where the inner critic would normally, when I'm not listening to something like that, that's when the inner critic has room to come in. Right. So that's what it is for me. But I really love your idea of giving it a name and a backstory. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you want to share your backstory since you have seem to have one for your Um So I remember several years ago, I, I wrote this like very lengthy um, journal entry about, it was actually before I was really uh, into inner critic stuff. And I was talking about my lizard brain, which Mm. basically is about the same thing. And I was basically saying that I have kind of two lizards and one is name is Norm and the other one's name is Norma. And their main concern is to try to keep me safe by making it so that I don't stand out. So you have Uh, two inner critics. Well, yeah, you know, like like at the time, I mean, my inner critic shows up in a lot of different ways. Either they're like, there's like a whole committee of folks and, you know, they like, they're like tag team. They're just like, tag, you're it. And like, all right, I got this one. And be like, and you think you're so big and bad. I'm like, oh, you're the like eight year old alleged friends down the street inner critic version. Okay. I got to see you peeping you out. But so um, in this respect, I had these two lizards that were like just gray and nondescript and, and they're just their main goal was like, let's just survive. Let's not shake anything up. Let's not be too remarkable. You know, like, let's make it so that you're kind of always sabotaging yourself so that, you know, or like, let's make it so like Denise is always sabotaging herself so that she's not too much. Mm. You know, like she's trying not to keep small again, trying to like, yeah, just, you Kinda know, straight. like keep it all together, not too smart or too loud or too talented or too attractive or too this or too that, whatever. Like, let's just try to like. And so, yeah, sometimes that that those those that pair, sometimes they still kind of pop up and then I'll be like, wait a minute. What? No, like, 
I'm a six foot tall black woman with short hair. And that's just not, that's not going to change anytime soon. So I might as well capitalize on that. One more exercise that we talked about. So I had heard about this idea from one of my art students. And then you also shared with me, you do this with your workshop participants is to draw your inner Yes. Yes. As a matter of fact, I do it. So I do this um, not only in my workshops, but I actually do this sometimes in my keynotes and I have everybody have a piece of paper. And what I do is I have them with their dominant hand. I have them write kind of their, either their top fear around creativity or their ability to be creative or like something that their inner critic says all the time to them. Mm. Right. And I have them write that down with their dominant hand. And then I have them switch hands. And with their non-dominant hand, I have them draw a picture of their inner critic. And my stipulation is, as I was like, it, I want you to give me your best kindergarten drawing version. I was like, this does not need to be like a masterpiece or an oeuvre. Like Mm. it just needs to be like, and I was like, and you only have a minute to do it or like a Mm. minute and a half or whatever. So like, seriously, like just do what you can. And so it really kicks people into kind of letting go of perfectionism and also they can't do it because, you know, unless they're ambidextrous, they're probably not really used to writing with right. their this is your non-dominant hand. And then and that also, also these are not necessarily with artists. So you're doing this with Facebook, Google, or these other corporations. Right, exactly. Yeah. And also the other thing too is that I, I definitely feel and you know there's a lot of studies that support this that say when you work with your non-dominant hand, you're actually kind of working with a part of your brain that's a kind of a younger part of your psyche. And you're actually getting into your subconscious more directly because, you know, when you're working with your dominant hand, it's the one that's practiced all the time. And when you're working with your non-dominant hand, it's almost like you're back when you were a kid and you're learning how to write. I didn't know that. And you know, kids, kids often will switch hands while their hand dominance is getting sorted out. So babies, young kids will do stuff with their right hand, they'll do stuff with their left hand. And then it's over time, the dominance will will take over and they're either using their right hand or left hand all the time. But for a while, it's like, so you can imagine, and you know what it's like when you see kids like writing and they're they're learning how to write and they, they can't hold the pen very well and all that stuff. And so when you take an adult and you throw a pen and you make them do something with their non-dominant hand. It's almost like going back in time to that period of time where you were like that level of mastery with that hand. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to another tool because I know we can talk about this subject all day. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's talk. Okay. So this is one thing that I think is really interesting is I had, you know, by the way, you're very popular. I've had all your friends on, I think. Had, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Ooh. Jeffrey Shaw. Oh, great. He's great. Okay. And then the other person I didn't know you were friends with, um, David Jeff- Burkus. He was like, oh, great. Oh, yeah, Denise. So, yeah, they were both guests. But That's anyway. Awesome. Yeah, they're fantastic. They're great. What, the reason I bring up Jeffrey, and I believe this was episode number three. So I'll make sure a link to his episode is also in the show notes. But he talked about how you can use compliments to pull out what our strengths are 
And what was so interesting in your book, you know, whenever you have a truism, what's also true sometimes is the opposite is also true. Absolutely. And so you talk about how, well, you can actually sometimes uncover some of your greatest strengths by looking at these criticisms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you tell this very great story. I'm not going to spoil it, but about this date gone wrong. Oh my goodness. I'll yeah. tell the story. I'll you tell, tell, the story. tell the story. You tell the story. So, so I met this guy who was a waiter and I met him at this great little um, eatery that I went to called Julia's Cafe when I lived in Seattle. So I said I was tall and I have a thing for tall men. And he was like, probably like six, four or something like that. And uh, we got to chit chatting and he was just really, really funny and all this stuff. So long story short, we went on a date. I thought we had a great time. And then super excited about telling him about this experience, which incidentally actually had to do with volleyball. I went and played volleyball for the first time in like a millennia and was like super excited. I was like, I still have it. So I called him and I was just like, (laughs) oh my God. So this happened and this happened and this happened and blah, 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 blah. And then like, after I was done, he was like kind of quiet. And I was just like, hello, are you still there? And he was just like, he just went on and on and on. It was like the Denise show. And I was just like, God, what? And I was like, so, and you know how it is when like something comes seemingly so from left field, you don't even know how to respond to it. Yeah. Like I was totally in that place. I was just like, that's like getting slapped in the face. Dude, completely. I was like gobsmacked. Somebody you liked and to. And I thought we had like this connection and all this stuff. So anyway, so, you know, suffice to say after that, I didn't really talk to him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anymore. No. I was like, all righty then. But then I was like really overly, like very sensitive to whether or not I talked a lot, whether or not I was talking over people, whether or mm-hmm. not I was like acting like I was the center of attention, blah, 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 blah. And later on, I found that it was ironic when I started being a speaker, actually when I was really drawn to being a speaker. Yeah. Right. It wasn't even like I just, you know, like I was walking down the street and all of a sudden it was like, hey, you want a keynote? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> I, I think I really like, I went to a conference. I saw somebody speaking. I was like, I want to do that. You know, yeah. like I had been teaching uh, web design and web development classes and loved teaching and loved having the audience, but hated grading papers. Mm. and went to a conference. I was like, wait a minute, I can talk about all the same stuff I talk about, but I don't have to grade papers and people will fly me places. Right. Yes, please. And then it took uh, quite a few years from the time that I had that realization until I actually started speaking at conferences and writing my first book, uh, The CSS Detective Guide, was part of the impetus, you know, was part of the plan to like, you know, the thing to springboard me into being able to go and speak at conferences. So it was only kind of later on that I looked back and I was like, huh. He was right. I was like, the Denise show. And I was like, well, now they pay me a lot of money to get up and talk for an hour or more. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'll take ownership of that. Like, yeah, I actually like, I like being the authority. I like being the expert. I like people ta- listening to me when I when I talk about stuff. And yeah, I like that. So you're right. I talk a lot. Yeah. And I'm good at it. Yeah. And that makes it good for a good podcast guest too. See? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like Oprah said. So all of that is to say that sometimes people will tell, and again, 
this fear that I talk too much. I had somebody close to me when I was younger who really would talk a, a lot about stuff and, and, and you couldn't get a word in edgewise. And I was always like, I don't want to be like that. You don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person. I don't so want to how be did the- you transform this, like the <clears throat> negative self-talk or, you know, transform the self-talk into a tool for success then? like So I think what ended up happening is I basically recognized that basically I put myself in an environment where that capacity, that skill would be an asset instead of a detriment. Yes. Like who would love that? Who would love that, right? Exactly. It's yeah. just like, okay, maybe this particular person that I was interested in dating, but clearly isn't a good match for me because he's not, a, I guess he's not a talker or whatever. Maybe, maybe not he was a listener. Or maybe he, was a, maybe he was just in a bad mood that day. Yeah. Like, who knows yeah. what was going on? But right. that's, not, that's not my thing to right. know or solve. Was his name Norman? No, his name was <laughs> Just think because your inner critic was Norma Norman. No, his name was Jim. I kind of wish his name had been Norm. <laughs> that would have been like a kind of poetic justice. But his name was Jim. <laughs> I'm just like, should I out him? No, I won't out him. I'm not no, going to. You don't petty. out him. <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm not going to be petty. Um, and Lord knows, he may, he may have changed his name. Who knows? I don't even know what's going on. He's got well, there's a, Luckily, there's a lot of gyms in the world. Yeah, and he's got actually fairly. But you know who world. you are, Jim. Oh, you listening? You, you know who you are. <laughs> tall, redheaded dude. Anyway, yeah. so sometimes I think what it is is it's helpful to look at those things that you're afraid of. Yes. And to look at those and to say, first of all. Is this really that bad? Like, is this something that I just naturally do? Like, are puppies dying from this? You know, are kittens being hurt from me talking a lot or liking to be the expert? I was like, no. Okay, where is this something where this is going to be an advantage for me and not a detriment? Right. So I think I think there's another um, thing in the book too, where I was talking. Not even I think I know because I wrote the book. But in the <laughs> book, there's another thing that talks about your uniqueness advantage. Mm. Right. So it's kind of a similar type of thing where instead of having this thing that you're like feeling like you should be ashamed of or you should try to hide or you should try to tone down, they'd be like, no, no, I'm gonna. This is the thing. You know, like kind of same thing with me being like, you know, a tall, you know, African American woman, like. Oh no, this is a thing. Like, right. I'm going to play this up as much as I possibly can. Yes. You know, like I'm going to make this an advantage for me and not yes. a disadvantage. I'm going to transform this because I have the power, you know, like we all have the power to do that. It's all in our heads, right? It's all perspective. I love that. Denise, this has been such an inspirational talk with you. I'm so fired up. Do you have any last words for my listeners before we call this podcast complete? Yes, I always have last words. Um, So, you know, my thing, I would say that, first of all, just a little bit of a disclaimer. And the disclaimer is, is that I know my book is called Banish Your Inner Critic. But like I was saying earlier, there's this really strong chance that you're never going to just be able to send your inner critic off into the hinterlands and it'll never come back. Right. Right. And, and by the way, just to backpedal, even though I said I, I have like this tool to quiet down when I'm not painting, I still have the, you know, my inner critic says to me, Oh, he'll never paint anything good again. Oh my goodness. Th- that last painting, that was it. That was it. That's all you got. <laughs> That's, it. That's all you've got. Right. All right. That's so funny. Your inner critic has it's got jokes. <laughs> 
like, oh, that's so cute. You're so funny. Would you like going to be on the stand-up circuit now? <laughs> Banishing your inner critic is, I don't really think is possible. Yeah. But I do think that with the tools and with the practices and everything that you can get to a point where your inner critic is not as loud, mm. right? It's yes. not popping up at the slightest propagation. It's not, you know, showing up and, and holding you back from things that you really want to do. And so I guess my last thing to say for people is to to stick with it, to know that it's something that kind of you kind of created and it's something that you can also take power away from as well. And you can take that power away from your inner critic and you can give it to your creative self. Right. And everybody has that. Everybody has that place that they get into that, you know, state of flow or whatever, where the inner critic is gone. It's not even like silent. It just doesn't exist. And you're just so into that place of creating and letting that kind of, I would even say like kind of divine creation run through you that the inner critic isn't even matter. So Mm -hmm know that that exists for you and trust in that and tap into that because that's who I believe we really are. I love that. Really those creative, empowered, creative people. I love that. Well, thanks again so much for joining me and taking this time. I know you're really busy. You're about to hop on a, where, where is it that you're going? I'm going to Toronto tomorrow morning. And I'll be in Toronto until Monday morning. And then I fly to Chicago and I'm going to be doing an event and doing uh, being the opening keynote for the event on Tuesday. Well, that's amazing. So if, by the way, if you want Denise to keynote your event, you just have to go to denisejacobs.com and you can contact her to discuss availability, topics, speaking fees. Because she doesn't just speak to artists, like I said, she's spoken to major corporations like Facebook and Google and teaches them how to tap into their creativity through these workshops. Exactly. Yeah. So, all right. So to find links to Denise or anything else we talked about today, the show notes are shulmanart.com forward slash 26. There's also a link to my masterclass, shulmanart.com forward slash masterclass. And then finally, to wrap this all up, I've got a question for you. Are you subscribed to my podcast? Because if you're not, I want to encourage you to do that right away, like right this minute. I have been bringing up some really amazing special guest episodes, and I know a lot of you like the solo mini trainings I do on the show. I've got some really good ones coming your way. So if you want these episodes sent to your smartphone or your desktop every time I release a new one, including some bonus episodes, make sure you subscribe to my podcast so you don't miss a single one. So for iTunes, just click the purple subscribe button and I'm on all major podcast directories like Stitcher and Spotify and Google Play. All right. So Denise and I are going to run. Thanks, Denise. uh, And thank you for listening and spending this time with me today. I will talk to you same time, same place next week. In the meanwhile, make it a great week and have an amazing and inspirational day. That's it. Woohoo! Rocked it. That was awesome. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course on shulmanart.com. Hey, if you enjoy this podcast, you have to check out the Inspired Insiders Club. 
It's my monthly membership program where you get weekly inspiration from me. Every week, I share with you techniques that I use in my own art for drawing and painting in both watercolor and mixed media. Plus, you'll get a weekly idea video so that you never run out of ideas for how to make the art your own in your own style. If you're feeling stuck in your art and your goal for 2019 is to unleash greater creativity or to spend more time painting, but you need a little help creating that habit, then the Inspired Insiders Club will help you get there. Come join me over at shulmanart.com. That's shulman with a C shulmanart.com forward slash join. I'd love to have you join me in the Inspired Insiders Club. See you there.